Suffering is a required course in God's curriculum for his children. There's no way we can live a life for Christ and not have a time of suffering in our lives. The martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer called suffering the badge of the true Christian. He wrote that while he was in the Flesenburg cell awaiting hanging by the Nazis, which took place on the 9th of April, 1945. He could have been extradited to America and not suffered and not been killed. He had an out, but he chose to stay and suffer with the people of resistance working against the godless Nazis in all of their brutality. Even though he knew the hangman's noose would soon be for him, he pressed on. He later wrote, the disciple is not above his master. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called to suffer. Do your children know that? Do you remember that? Or do you feel somehow mistreated, picked on when you face opposition? When you're punched? And you wind up on your back. You know, that's not all bad. When that happens, you're finally looking in the right direction. We're all looking up into the face of the one who suffered and died for us. Furthermore, he's the one who taught his disciples and I quote from John 15, 18 and 19, listen to this. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but but, but you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Easy to forget that. Easy to think that uh, somehow 
we didn't handle something right, so people have turned against us. On the contrary, you may have been more right than ever in your life. And those who hate Christ hate you, therefore they hate where you stand. I experienced it when I was an apprentice in the machine shop for four and a half years. I experienced it for years when I was in the Marine Corps barracks. I wasn't a martyr, I wasn't anywhere near that. But I found opposition from those who hated the Christ I loved. Because I wasn't willing to love the world they loved. It's important that we rear our children to understand this. Now, obviously, life is not all prejudice and hatred, but some of it includes that. And that can easily lead to disillusionment, depression, confusion, Perhaps that as much as anything is the reason God has given us the book of Acts. This wonderful 28 chapter book of the Acts of the Apostles. That's the full name. The early apostles, most of whom died martyrs. The writer to the Hebrews says, what more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David also in the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness and stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Some were sawn in two. They lived as people without homes and sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They were people of whom the world was not worthy. Do you hear that? People of whom the world was not worthy. Destitute, afflicted, tormented, tortured, martyred. <laughs> they did good, but they lived their lives before those who saw good as evil, and evil is good, like we live in such times, where it's all twisted. And I'll return to the subject of your children and mine. Do they understand that the world is twisted in its thinking? Do they understand that the majority is rarely right? 
And that if you live your life hoping to be accepted by the majority, you'll often be wrong. The apostles didn't live like that. So Peter and John on their way to the temple pass by the gate and they see a man with his hands out. And they said, silver and gold we have none, but what we do have we'll give to you in the name of and power of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. And he stood up and walked. He stood up and walked, never had in his life. The problem was the miracle took place where the thugs carried out their business. People like Annas and Caiaphas and Alexander, people who had sat around and contrived and connived and conspired so that they would find a way to nail the only perfect person who has ever lived to a cross. And they got wind of this miracle that took place. The miracle didn't bother, it did bother them, but not as much as the reason they claimed the miracle. That's why they confronted Peter and John asking by whose name and by what power have you done this? Who gave you the authority to do this? Without flinching, without hesitation, Peter and John said, it was through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was in the name of Christ, this man was healed. They didn't stop there. But the men had heard enough for the night. It was getting late. They couldn't put them on trial. So they arrested them and put them behind bars. Stop, stop. Ever been put behind bars because of your faith? Well, neither have I. But they often were. I don't know if you've stopped to think about the reality of that, but they left their children and family at home. They didn't come home that night. They didn't know if they'd ever come home. These were killers that locked them up. These were thugs. These were crucifying, hateful, revengeful people who especially dis despised the name of Jesus. So the next day they faced the council. Who's that? Well, in the Jewish day, back in the first century, the Supreme Court was known as the Sanhedrin, 70 men, mainly Sadducees, who not only did not believe in a resurrection, they did not believe in miracles. They weren't ready to hear about either. And Peter and John are brought before them. Stop again. Bonhoeffer was brought before 
the Gestapo. An inquisition followed more than once. Ever been in an inquisition? Neither have I. So do your best to imagine. Hateful, prejudiced people who could not be fair if they tried are sitting as your judge. And they're listening to you talk about what's actually happened. And the foundation of all of it is your faith. That's why you're in front of them. That that's why you're on trial. I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks. Every time I close my Bible and turn the lights down in my study and just sit at my desk, I feel a little frightened for them. But they weren't. They weren't. They didn't hesitate. By what authority, in whose power or name, did you do this thing? It was in the name of Jesus Christ, and Peter didn't stop there, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. In other words, who is alive among us and healing people just like this beggar. The um, inquisitors are stunned. Read it for yourself. Let your mind go free. Get away from the tradition of just reading words and going on to chapter five. Pause and let it sink in. They're stunned. How could this be? We nailed that man to a cross. He breathed his last. He was taken down as a cadaver. He was laid in a grave. Nonsense about the resurrection never happened. May have stolen his body. Somebody may have taken it. He's not raised. But there's no way they can explain away the beggar on both feet, healthy and whole. Something else that stunned them, again, when you read it, you'll see why Peter never flinched. These men spoke with invincible courage. They didn't mumble. They didn't apologize. On the contrary, they, if not pointed fingers, they looked directly into the faces of killers. And they said to those individuals, the one you crucified, God raised, the one God raised, heal this man. He is the one we follow. He is the basis of our faith. He is why our numbers are now 
what they are, 10,000 or whatever, and we have just begun. And the killers looked at those they were accusing, and they realized two things. First, these are not astute theologians. They are not men with academic letters after their names. They have not studied in the better schools. They've not studied in any theology school. They've not sat at the feet of Gamaliel. They are, well, the King James puts it well, ignorant and unlearned men. They weren't even mentored by one of the chief priests of the temple. So how do they get this kind of invincible courage to talk to us like that, knowing that we have the power of life or death over them? Get this. They took knowledge of them. They have been with Jesus. They're Jesus men. Why did they say that? Because they sounded just like Jesus. He spoke with that kind of invincible courage. He stared them down. He faced them with unflinching confidence. You know what I thought? I even put it in my notes. When they thought, they are just like Jesus. They finally got something right. They got that right. We'd use the words, Jesus is rubbed off on them. Whoa. And I'm sure they thought, what do we do now? Having put Jesus on a cross, nailed him there, watched him die, seen him buried, and now there are 10,000 followers, and they're growing. For us to mess with these two leaders, we're going to have people all over us. There's going to be an uprising like we've never known before. So then began the threats. You know why they really threatened them? Because of what Peter says in verse 12. If you've got your Bible available, verse 12 of chapter 4, Peter looks at those thugs and he says to them, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. 
Now, it's sort of easy these days to deny that. Liberals do all the time. Uh, they find ways around it, do all kinds of semantic footwork, explain away those words, much too specific. Specific bothers you? When you want to make a flight from here to St. Louis and you get a hold of an airline, they will tell you you'll need to go to gate nine, take flight 184, which leaves at 9.37 tomorrow morning. If you get on the plane, you'll be in seat 37B, and at this time you'll take off, hopefully, and at that time you'll arrive. And you never think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, you're like that. You know exactly the gate, exactly the flight, exactly the time, exactly the plane, exactly the seat, and you go, great. You get your ticket and you're on. I've never heard anyone go, you know, I don't like things that specific. How many gates are there? Well, there are 27. Can I just take my choice? Sure. You won't wind up where you want to go, but uh, you could take any one of them and it'll be a different flight and who knows where you'll wind up. See how silly it is? Salvation, as important as it is for eternity, and people are saying it's too specific. It better be specific, or I don't know where I'm going to wind up. I, I don't know for sure that I'll go to where Jesus is if I don't follow his instructions. Where he said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Didn't stop there. No one comes to the Father except through me. Merrill Tinney, for years, the one who was the leader, the, the, the dean of the graduate school at, Whe at Wheaton College, wrote this, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. Do you know Jesus? Do, do you know Jesus? Since there's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved? Do, do you know Jesus? If you don't, you're not saved. If you die, you're in hell. I didn't write it. I only quote it. Don't get fancy and, 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 and funny about this. 
This is specific on purpose. And believe me, if the thugs at the temple couldn't figure it out and work out another plan, you can't either. You go God's way or you don't go his way. That's not your destination. And I shudder to think of where you will wind up. And when you get through joking about it with all your buddies, you'll discover too late, there's nothing funny about hell. Nothing. So they speak that honestly before these men. The men are at a loss to know what to say. So they threatened them, don't speak again of his name, which was wasted breath, because as soon as Peter and John got back, they were on their way on another mission just like this one. Why am I bringing a message like this? Because of the times in which we live, very liberal times, very iffy. Lots of opposition, lots of voices, all kinds of so-called authorities saying, much too conservative, that's much too narrow. It's not Jesus only. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Isn't that what Peter, yeah, it's exactly what Peter said. Neither is there salvation in any other. I'm being uh, overbearing here because it's easy to, to go past this too quickly because you hear so much from the opposition since it is always in the majority, except at a gathering like this. Suffering may be the required course in God's curriculum, but the one who teaches the course is our He never left these men behind bars overnight, right there with him, showing himself strong, encouraging them, telling them, don't give up, don't be afraid. I am with you always. I will be with you to the end. So when they got out from behind bars and they had the chance to speak, to those thugs, they didn't wobble for a moment. They started right where they had left off at sundown. <laughs> Peter Cartwright was a stout-hearted circuit-riding Methodist preacher of yesteryear. He rode horseback from Tennessee to Illinois 
because of his hatred for slavery. And he wanted to get to a place where he didn't have to deal with it so often. Wound up in Illinois. There he had a church. There he preached the truth without wavering. Peter Cartwright was known for his strong message, uncompromising in the truth, unbending regarding, regardless of his audience. One Sunday morning early, his deacons got a hold of him and said, um, you, you need to know that President Andrew Jackson is visiting our church today. Uh, we want to warn you, it would be good if you did not offend the chief executive. So be careful with what you say. Cartwright listened without saying a word. And then when he got to the pulpit, he began, I've been requested to be guarded in my remarks since President Andrew Jackson is here today. So I want to say to everyone, Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. Well, I would imagine the deacons didn't know whether to spit or wind their watch about that time. <laughs> Cartwright never flinched, preached his whole message. Afterwards, everyone wondered what the president thought. Sure enough, right down front, he stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with Cartwright. And this is what he said, sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. Christ needs men and women like that. Now hold on, hold on. Before you go out and yell the message of Christ to every waitress you meet at the restaurant, or everyone who may park your car in front of the restaurant, or every neighbor in your neighborhood. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Remember where Cartwright was? He was in his church. It was his sermon to preach. So in that sense, it was absolutely appropriate he say what he should say. He believed God would have him say it. God bless Peter Cartwright for saying it. There's a time and a place to say it, but for God's sake, say it when it's the right time and the right place. Otherwise, you welch on the message and you show yourself a coward. Do not hesitate to stand up for the truth. Believe me, the opposition doesn't hesitate to stand up for its lies. We live in a day when compromise has become a way of life and where only the Christian is called a fanatic. I hear fanatics in our government every day I watch the news and I get sick of them. Where are those who speak openly and freely 
in the right way at the right time regarding their faith in the Savior. Every once in a while, I hear them and I think, God bless you for speaking the truth. Now, again, some of you will hear this and take it the wrong way. So let me say, your opening line ought not always be, you're gonna to go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus, okay? Cartwright, it, it, it's appropriate. There may be a time when it would be appropriate. As I would say to you who are here in this room, if you do not know Christ and if you die in that condition, hell is your destiny. I say that with a broken heart and I say that nevertheless without apology. There is salvation in no other except the name of Jesus. Trust in Jesus. If you want to get at the right destination, you get at the right gate, you get on the right plane, you sit in the right seat, and you wind up at the right destination. If you want to wind up in heaven and the glories of heaven, you must go God's way through Christ alone, by faith alone, because of his grace alone. Now let me say to all of us, I do not know when we must be called into account. Maybe in my lifetime, it may be long after I'm gone, but I believe it's nearer than ever. I believe the opposition is on the march. We are clearly in the last days. I don't say that to frighten anyone. Read your Bible, you'll see it. But I'm not setting dates. It may be years before Jesus returns, but we live as though he comes this afternoon. We prepare for him as though it is going to happen in the next hour. Because every one of us will die. And we will meet him face to face. And our only ticket to the right destiny is him, Christ Jesus. If you've never met him as your savior, this is your moment. The great news is heaven awaits you. Trust in Jesus, come today. Bow with me, will you? Never been a time in your life when you trusted in Christ? Open your heart right now. Tell him you've walked away from him long enough You've gone your own way long enough. You now want to know that he will be your savior. So you trust him and him alone as your one and only Lord. Trust him now. Put it off no longer. Thank you, Father, for the truth. Thank you for men like Peter and John who were unintimidated when they stood before the thugs and were willing to tell these evil men the truth. 
regardless of what the consequences may have been. Give us that kind of courage. Forgive us for welching when it's our moment to speak. Open our lips to speak openly of Christ at the right time, in the right way, for the right reason. I pray in his name, the name of Jesus. Everyone said,